remember, when you attempt these things, don't expect to be awesome at it immediately. Give yourself the grace to suck at it at first and then just keep trying. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Slow Smoke Business. I'm Jared Morgan. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode. A couple of months ago, I was invited to Fort Worth, Texas to speak at the Badass Business Summit. Badass Business Summit 2023. Uh, if you follow the show for a while, you know Donnie Bovine, one of my buddies. Uh, he runs that organization. It does a lot of great things for leading people to greatness and challenging them to be the best that they can be. So I wanted to share that speech with you. Uh, let's dive in from the Badass Business Summit of 2023. All right. Okay, so when Donnie asked me to be here, um, I did not know I was getting the Friday night slot. And so I was like, if this is Coachella, like, what does that make me, Kanye? Or like, I'll take it, right? But so I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. And um, this is cool because I don't get to tell my story like this very often. Uh, I've spoken at a lot of different conferences, but usually I'm talking about nerdy stuff like academic integrity and tech stuff and I rarely get a chance to sort of tell my story. So let me see if I can sum this up and we'll try to take some questions for you or from you, excuse me. So I'm 19 years old and I'm in my boss's office and it's a drab office. I work at the Escambia County Sheriff's Office, a police department sheriff's office down in Florida where I grew up. It's a blue-collar town and kind of a blue-collar sort of community. And uh, my boss is in there, and he's letting me have it for some offense that, frankly, I don't even remember what it was, right? And at some point in the conversation, he leans in, and he's he's saying whatever, and he leans in and he says, you're never going to amount to anything. Okay. So at 19, I kind of knew that was, that's kind of bullshit, right? You don't say that to a kid. But this guy was a piece of work. Uh, His name was Mac. I got receipts, so I'm going to use his name. Um, His name was Mac, and he was the guy that would remind everybody in the room that he made 100 grand a year, you know, talking to a guy who makes seven bucks an hour, sweeping his floors in the IT department. Um, And he just had a real arrogant way about him. But honestly, like, I can't say that I totally don't see where he's coming from um, because I wasn't really that special. Like, I, 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 my mom told me I was special for sure, right? But, you know, I didn't come from um, a family that had a ton of money. We had a lot of pride and we worked really hard, but we didn't, we, we, you know, my dad was a mechanic at that same sheriff's office. He worked on the police cars. My brother was a drug investigator. We worked really, really hard. I was one generation removed from abject poverty, just hunger. My dad's family really, really struggled. He was the youngest of 14 kids, and his dad died early. So single mom, 14 kids, it was a real challenge. And so when someone leans in and tells you you're not going to be anything, you sort of think, hmm, I can see where you're coming from. So, since I've told you where I came from, let me tell you who I am. So, my name is Jared Morgan. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I am an entrepreneur. I'm a believer. 
at 26 years old, I started um, a project where I invented this super nerdy thing where if you've ever heard somebody that went to college and they took an exam and someone watched them over a webcam take that exam so they could take it online, uh, I invented that back in um, 2007, 2008. And spun that out into its own company called ProctorU. ProctorU became um, the largest uh, testing company of its kind in the world. Um, we had customers like Google, the French government, the United Nations, hundreds of the most prestigious universities in the world. We grew to 14 offices in nine countries, 1,500 employees. Um, I have three patents in my name. I think five, actually, but three, three, that, three that matter. Um, I have been uh, celebrated and uh, attacked in the New York Times, the Today Show, the Washington Post, friggin' Vice News, friggin' Vice News. But through all that, uh, built a business and in 2020 achieved um, a generational dream, which was to sell that business for half a billion dollars. So, no, not all that was mine. So I just wanted to let y'all know, or I'd have handlers <laughs> running around that. But so, how you like me now, Mac? Um, <laughs> so, you heard Donnie say it earlier, and like I, I put a lot of pride in um, humility. So it took. I actually had. I, I don't think I've ever rehearsed what I just told you more in any speech because I never talk about myself. I don't normally say those kinds of things because it's relevant, but it's not relevant, right? But I think it's relevant in this conversation because what I want to tell you is how I got here. You know, when I was preparing for this um, talk, I was working with Stevie Dawn, who's brilliant, and uh, she said, I'm so excited to have you come up and talk to everybody. You're, you know, you just, you, you're just, you just don't, you just, you don't seem that successful. <laughs> Stevie, receipts, okay. <laughs> but again, the truth is, I've had some remarkable success. I've had some remarkable experiences. And um, while this isn't a, a statement of like, you know, self-esteem or anything, I don't feel like I'm that remarkable, right? But I've made some exceptional choices and taught myself some, ex some exceptional things, and that's kind of what I wanted to share with you guys today. What are the things you can do to be a redneck Northwest Florida guy and figure out how to belong in a room when you have to go sell to Google or the French government or the United Nations or the University of Florida where I barely made it in as a student, right? And then I'm in the provost's office and they're looking at me going, you know, I'm like, they pulled my transcripts. I know it. They don't, but I'm trying to sell to them. How do you do that? So what we're going to talk about today are the three things you need to know to sort of reinvent yourself into a person like that. But the title of this, shout out to Fani for her, her great talk a little earlier. The title of this is Progress Over Perfection. You said a little something like that earlier. And Progress Over Perfection has been um, something that has allowed me, I would have never gotten to where I was if I tried to be perfect right out of the gate. 
when I was a 26-year-old kid building a tech company in Redneck, Alabama, where I lived, um, how was how you know how could I walk in a room and belong when I was starting out? So I gave myself the grace, and frankly, I didn't. I wasn't able to verbalize this back then as well as I can now. But I gave myself the grace to suck at something before getting good at it, right? And so when you have a challenge in front of you, one of the things I always tried to do is just do the best I could do right now, but not spend forever trying to get 1% better at it. Because what ends up happening, and for those of you that work in the tech industry, um, you know this, iteration is how you can quickly get better at something. So you try something, you figure out whether it worked, you get some honest feedback from somebody, a customer or a coworker or someone you trust, and they do it again and you get better. You do it again, you get better. Your sales panel in there was phenomenal. And I saw a lot of that in there too. Iteration. You do it and you get better. You do it and you get better. You do it a little get and do it a little bit more and you get a little bit better, right? So through all that I'm gonna talk about today, and I really wanted to make this discussion tactical rather than like high level, but with all of this, remember when you attempt these things, don't expect to be awesome at it immediately. Give yourself the grace to suck at it at first and then just keep trying. Okay, we good? Can we everybody do that? All right, good. So let me see if my clicker works. Yes. Oh, I'll aim it there. So the first thing you need to know is know your because. Now, shout out to Simon Sinek. Like, everybody knows the know your why thing. Um, I've always kind of framed it in my head a little bit differently. The word because, if you think about it, is a word that really points to something you should pay attention to. So I've had some great conversations with you guys here, and there's a whole lot of fitness folks here. Thank you guys for your inspiration, <laughs> okay? Um, and as I'm talking to them, you know, I'll say, well, you know, I gained a little bit of weight, and then I'll say the word because, and then whatever comes after that word is what I'm giving power to, right? So if I say, man, I couldn't, I didn't close that sale because I wasn't prepared or because I, man, I was up late last night or because whatever comes after that is what you're given power to. But if you flip it into a positive, I got to be successful because what, right? So look at that statement, whatever fits in that blank is what should keep you going when you're sick and you don't want to get up and go visit that new customer today. Or when you're like me and your mentor um, that has started a business with you uh, has, has double-crossed you and you've got to get lawyers and, and run him out of the company. Or the day your daughter is born you, your family, uh, has a family member commit suicide that day while you're building a company. Why do you have to keep going? If you don't know what's in that blank, there's going to be things that are going to hit you that are going to knock you out, or at least going to knock you off course for a long time. What was in my blank was two things. I 
I wanted to flip my family tree. If you look at every successful family, a family that has means, a family that has financial security, and you go back through their lineage, at some point they were poor. Somebody in their ancestry, they have not, no one has had, even the Rockefellers, right? They weren't, they weren't 25 generations back wealthy. And I had seen what scarcity and poverty mindset and things can do to families. And so poverty can go from generation to generation to generation until the one comes along, the one person that flips the whole family tree. And that's what the fuck I was going to do. I was going to flip my family tree. I was going to make it so that my kids and my kids' kids had opportunities that my dad didn't have, that my granddad didn't have, and that I had to make for myself. The second thing kind of has a little story connected to it. Um, before I started the company, I was uh, working a job that was a dead-end job. I was working in construction for a company that I didn't like doing a job. I didn't like um, broke, depressed, at my absolute wit's end. And I knew um, that God had something better for me than where I was. Now, you'll notice about me, I'm a spiritual guy. I, I cuss a little, but I'm a spiritual guy, okay? And one day at the absolute end of my ropes, there was nothing going on in my projects and I'm paid by the project. I can't sell, so I don't have any projects to build and so I'm not making any money. So I get my car and I drive to a church. And I walk in the back of the church and I sit, doors are unlocked. This is, this is like a Wednesday. I sit in the back row and I just start bitching to God, right? What am I doing? Like, I know I'm supposed to be doing something different than what I'm doing. I know I'm not supposed to feel like this. I know there's some plan for me, but I don't know what it is. And I don't, I've been doing everything everybody else has been telling me to do. I got a good job. I like, I've, I've shown up to work. I'm, you know, buttoning myself. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. And it sucks. This sucks. This is not what I'm supposed to do. And I just sort of cried out. I said, all right, look, I feel like I'm supposed to do something great. And so, God, if you'll make me successful, I will be one of the ones you can count on. When somebody's hurting, when somebody needs help, when somebody needs something, if you'll give me the means and the, and the clout and the influence or whatever, I, I will, I'll answer that call, right? And I stood up from the church. I walked out to my truck, and I stopped as I reached for the handle, and I had this weird feeling come over me, and I said out loud, I'm going to go quit my job right now. And I opened up the car door, and I drove straight to my boss's office and quit with no plan, which is, if you know anything about me and my anxiety, like, oh, that is not how that operates usually, right? But um, I did. And that put me on a path where I started to be an entrepreneur. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to build websites, right? And I'm going to, so I'm doing that. And then I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And eventually I had to get a day job at a school and while I was at that school, they're like, you know what? People are cheating on these tests all the time, and we need to figure something out. Well, I think I could do something with that. And here we are. When I 
when I sold that business, it was one of the wildest, one of the wildest days of my life. And it's in the middle of the pandemic. And so I had all these like thoughts through the years of what I was going to do and what kind of like, you know, like what, and then I'm just, I was literally like in my house and my wife and I just look at each other and we're tearing up as I walk upstairs to take the most pivotal Zoom meeting I've ever, <laughs> right? Like, and after I got done, I said, okay, well, what's that mean? What am I supposed to, okay, I said I was going to be one of the good ones. Like, now what? And I, I kind of went through this weird phase. I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. And not long after that, I had this weird feeling that there was this one random, I call it random because I didn't have any connection to it, a random charity in my town that supported families of children uh, who were battling cancer at Children's Hospital of Atlanta and were getting just financially flatlined. And this organization comes in and helps them. It's called Hope for Autumn and would help, you know, pay someone's car note or keep their house from getting foreclosed on while they can't work, uh, you know, because their kid is going through chemo. So I called them up and I said, hey, I want to make a donation. They're like, well, nobody ever does that. We do a little fundraiser. And I said, well, I just want to make a donation. And long story short, that conversation turned into they asked me to be the president of that charity, which I accepted. And so that's, that's one little example of kind of making a dangerous prayer like that and saying, okay, I'm going to be successful because my number's going to get called. And God dang it, guys, the world needs successful people that are good ones. Okay, don't let the world lie. I wasn't planning on talking about this, by the way. I know this, is, this is organically happening right now. But like, the world needs successful people. The world needs people with money and influence who have a conscience, okay, and who have ethics. And when somebody's hurting and can't take care of themselves, who the hell do you, th- you, you remember the, the Good Samaritan in the Bible? Everybody remember that story? Okay. That was a rich guy. You can't pick a dude up off the road and put him up in a hotel for a week and tell the guy, I'll come back and pay for everything unless you've done some shit in your life and you can take care of yourself and other people. So that's what I want to challenge you guys to do today. Don't be ashamed of your ambition. Don't be ashamed of the fact that you want to be successful because successful people with ethics and a conscience and a connection are going to be the ones that make the world better. Good night, everybody. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Okay. So figure out what goes in that balance, or excuse me, what goes in that that blank right there. What, why are you doing this? Because it's going to get tough, and you're going to need to know why you're going to persevere. So let's get a little more tactical. The second thing you need to know is you need to know what you're up against. Okay, now when I say that, probably people's mind defaults to competition. Certainly mine did. And so a lot of times I'll counsel companies or startups, right? And they'll come and talk to me or I'll judge like a business competition. I've done a couple of like high school kids. It's so fun. Like they're, they've watched Shark Tank their whole life and they're just freaking ready. You know what I mean? Ha, okay, my company is, and they do some kind of wild little thing and you're, eh, you know. But at the question and answer session at the end of that, I love when I ask people, okay, who is your competitor? And they will say, some of them will say like, oh, this group and this group and this group. But the worst answer I always hear is, I have no competitor. No one's ever done this before. And my answer to that, 
And in all honesty, like I, I, I kind of, I remember saying things like that when I was a young kid, just sort of getting started. But my answer to that is, if you don't have a competitor, it's probably a bad idea what you're doing, right? I mean, maybe there's a reason no one's doing it. It's a, it's not a good idea. But the real answer is, you always have a competitor, because. Your competitor is whatever people are doing instead of using your business or your service or your product. That's your competitor. And so when we started ProctorU, one of the challenges that we had, knowing, about, knowing what you're up against, was everybody agreed that it was important for you to have people not cheat on a test. But nobody could tell you why or nobody could tell you how exactly to get that done. And so I used to say, well, here's what we do. We, we watch someone over a webcam and, you know, we, we have this process where we figure out we know exactly it's the right person and we do the camera pan and all this stuff. And they're like, there would always be some jerk in the back in, in these meetings at these colleges that would say, you can't do that, man. You can't, you can't catch cheaters that way. And I was like, what? what? I'm like 28 at this point. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? Right. And I had to figure out how to what I was up against. Right. Was a mindset. Right that people were pointing at my service and saying, that's not good enough. But then when I would ask them, what is good enough? And they'd say, well, watching people in person. And I'd say, why? What's making that good enough? And they go, I, I don't know. So I started asking them, can you define what proctoring a test in person, how do you know it's being done right? And they could, I, I don't know. Like, okay, we've been doing this for hundreds of years. Like, how do we not have a definition? And so that was what I was up against. And one of the things I did to sort of rally that cause was I said, well, if they don't know what it is, I'm going to define it, okay? And I came up with a quick mantra. If I'm watching you take a test in the room, I can see you, I can see what you're doing, and I know who you are. And I felt like if I could build our service to check all three of those boxes, then we had an argument, Right? And so I told everybody on my team that you were to say that phrase, see the student, see what they're doing, know who they are, seven times on every call. And I'm going to write it two times in every bit of material we have. And we like went on this campaign of defining what that meant to get people to understand, at least just to agree on a definition that we could work towards fulfilling. That's what we were up against, right? So what are you up against in your business? If you're a coaching company or you're, you, you've got, you're, 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 you're selling insurance or whatever, what's keeping people from buying? Your competition isn't necessarily another company. It's whatever's making them not do it, right? I've talked with Laura a bunch here about nutrition and like your competition is in and out burger, right? Like people, people making bad choices, people not doing the things and thinking they can't get out of it. So you need to really understand that at a deep level so that you can figure out how you overcome it. It's not just another company. Now, you might be in a space that's really competitive. So one of the companies I have now is um, a coatings company. We, it's called Tough Dog Garage Floors. And if you live in Alabama and you want a nice garage floor that stays clean and will last you 15 years, give us a call, baby, right? So, but that's a super competitive space. There's literally three, I'm not joking. We're one of three companies that install that product in my neighborhood right? Because it's just gotten super competitive. And so in that space, like I, I definitely have to know how are they selling? What, how do they present 
the product? How do they, what is their value proposition? And I loved uh, when Jerry was talking about you got to have a mafia offer, right? You either need to be twice as good or half the price, right? It was Jerry who said that, right? Yeah. That's great. You got it. So you got to figure those things out. So knowing what you're up against is, is absolutely key. Because if you don't really understand who you're fighting against and, and, and what mindsets you're overcoming, you're going to struggle uh, because you're going to walk in and you're going to be hit with situations that you don't understand because you haven't done your homework, right? So it does not, it does not cost you anything to be the most prepared person in the room. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't take a lick of fucking talent to have done your homework and show up on time and know who you're talking to and what they've bought before and what they're buying next time or where they came from or your competitor. Who's going to come in? Who is that guy that's selling? What's his background? What does he usually say? Right? I had some academia put you in some weird situations. So can you imagine? The guys that are out there selling academics, I love them. They're my people. I've spent 15 plus years working in, in, in higher ed spaces. And so I love them, right? But there's sometimes that they would put us into circumstances that I had, I, I was like, you got to be kidding me. So we had this one uh, time we were selling at a school and they were looking at our proctoring company and they were looking at another company. Uh, I used to call them Proctor U cover bands, right? These little like, oh, they're trying to be us. And, um, and they were like, hey, we're going to have you guys both give presentations. And um, you're both, we're, we're getting all the decision makers, 20 plus people in a room, and you're both going to be in the room at the same time. And so he's going to stand up and give his presentation, and he's going to sit down, and you're going to stand up and give your presentation. And I'm like, are you, what? Like, can you imagine selling with your competitor in the room, right? And so this, like, there's gamesmanship going on. Because I, I did my homework. I'm like, all right. This guy's going to come in, and he's going to try to sell schmoozing. Hey, baby, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of that guy. So I said, I here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in the room beforehand, and I'm going to say, hey, would it be cool if I brought some coffee and donuts? And, of course, they're going to be like, oh, my God, that'd be so nice. And so I went in beforehand, and I, I went through that conference room, and I removed every coffee cup you could find, and I replaced it with all coffee cups with my logo on it. Right? So my guy's up there giving his presentation, and he's looking at a C. And uh, I did, but here's, that's not the end of it. So he goes up. This guy was crafty. He goes up. He goes, hey, can I go first? And I was like, okay. Then he, it's like we had an hour. I was supposed to get 30 minutes. He's supposed to get 30 minutes. He filibustered for 50 minutes to give me 10. And I'm in the back. I'm in the back and I'm sitting and I'm like standing up at certain times and like, yep, you know, trying to like mess him up or whatever. But we, want, we ended up winning the deal because on the, on the strength of the, the presentation and the follow-up and everything else. But all that to say, know what you're up against, right? And the guy I was up against was this like, had like 20 years more experience on me. This sales guy was their VP and I was selling at a school feeling like this, I'm, I'm selling at schools that I probably wasn't qualified to attend, right? And uh, I had to get that head trash, shout out to Donnie for that phrase, I love it, out of there and just say, look, no, there's like being the most prepared and thinking through the situation, that doesn't cost anything. It doesn't, I don't have to go to an Ivy League school 
to be the most ready guy in the room. Okay, so know what you're up against. And the last thing, and this is one of my favorites, know how to carry yourself. This was big for me. Um, I was working through a lot of self-doubt early in my career. And um, when you get asked to show up and speak to a room full of PhDs, you just automatically assume that they're looking down their nose at you, right? Or you get asked to get on an airplane and fly to Paris because the French government has this thing called a, they have a MOOC, right? I don't know if you know what, remember what a MOOC was, like this hot thing, a couple people do. Okay, massive online open course, which was like, hey, we're going to teach like a million people in this one little thing, and but we're going to put a test at the end, and we got to have a way to make sure that the credential we're giving has value, and so we need you guys. And so I'm, I find myself, my redneck self, flying to Paris to walk in a room with um, the most French people you've ever met, right? And you got to understand that, like, I didn't come for much, man. I had flown on an airplane one time before I started this company, ever. And so now I'm being asked to fly internationally. How the hell do you do that? How do you walk in that room and not be like, you know, yeehaw, you know, and here I am, and and just, and that might play in certain parts of the, it does not play in Paris. I can, I didn't try it, but I can promise you it doesn't play in Paris. And I remember the, one of the first things they asked me when I sat down, they're like, we, uh, and they're, you know, trying to speak English, we, um, we looked and we didn't see a French company that does this. Do you know of one? And I was like, you brought me over here to ask me that? Like, no, there's not, you're going to have to deal with American me. Okay. Uh, but how do you walk into rooms like that? So the, one of the tricks that I learned um, when I was getting ready to do something, walk into a customer presentation, knock on a door, do something that I was super nervous about. One of the tactics that I would do is, and this sounds so easy, but just pretend that you're awesome at it. Like, go with me for a second. But I was going to, when I first started having to give speeches, I had never given speeches before. And so I thought like, well, what would Steve Jobs do? Or Tony Robbins. I love Tony Robbins. What would, what would he do? How would, how would he stride onto the stage? Right? What would he say? What kind of, how would he move his arms? How would he, and I would just go, I'm just going to pretend I'm him. And I'm going to do that. And um, I'm telling you it works. Just pretend that you are super confident and, and do the motions and say the things that a super confident person would say. And here's what you'll find out. You'll do it. It'll be a performance. And then when you get done with it, you'll go, holy shit, I actually did it though. Like I mean, just because I'm pre pretending to do it, I actually did it. I stood up there. I didn't triple my shoelaces or whatever. And I don't even if you did, like you, but I, I acted confident and everybody was like, oh, you look like a natural. I'm telling you, the, the old, it's so trite to say fake it till you make it, but it's true. Like, pretending to be confident is the first step to actually being confident, right? Just pretend and study people that you think do it well and, 
uh, and do it the way they do it. And then you'll start to adapt your own way to do it. And next thing you know, again, to the sales panel, right? You do it a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch times, and suddenly it starts to become second nature. And it's no longer a performance. It's you doing that. Now, when you talk about carrying yourself, we got to talk about how you dress. Now, my red hat guy, I love, Larry, I loved your, your discussion. And if you are not, if you don't have an intelligent, thought, thought out reason for dressing different than everybody in the room, like he does, he had it, absolutely nailed it and it works for him, then you need to start, you better, you better think through the way you're going to dress and present yourself. Mark Cuban, who's one of my guys, one of my heroes, I love him. If he's out there, I'd love to meet you, Mark. Um, so Mark ha has a saying where he said, if I'm selling somebody, I'm going to dress the way they want me to dress. If they're selling me, I'll dress how I want to dress, right? And so that sort of philosophy guided me a lot. I was anything but a PhD. I had to go into rooms with PhDs all the time. Well, I needed to walk in there and not make the way I looked be a distraction. I didn't have to win the room with the way I looked, but you wanted it to just be a non-issue, right? And so think about things. Are you, uh, I, I have contacts now uh, for, if you look at any picture of me through my entire run of ProctorU, I had glasses on, right? And I lost, I started getting my eyesight getting fuzzy, like right as I started that company. And everyone's like, oh, you're going to get contacts? I'm like, no, I'm going to get glasses because I, I'm going to be in academic settings and like saying the same thing with some glasses on. I don't know, man, just saying, sold it for half a bit. No, I'm sorry. You know, so, and then once I sold the company, I was like, my wife laughed. She's like, now you're getting contacts. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm good now. But think about things like that. Think about how you walk in a room. Think about what you say to people. Think about little things like people like to hear themselves talk. People like to hear their own name. Go up and you say, hey, John, good to hear from you. And then find another time to say their, word John, say their name, Johnny. Also helps you remember their name. People like to hear their own name. John, that's a great question. You know? And remember that people love to talk. This is so... When, you, when you're interacting in business and you're selling and everything is selling, I believe that what you guys are saying, everything is selling, right? Selling is just about getting somebody to believe you, right? Just believe me. And so if they're going to believe you, they got to trust you and like you. And, you. and the way to do that is the same way you win dates and you win, you know, arguments with your kids about eating their broccoli. And you have to, you have to just sort of think about those things. So, you know, you say their name. If you, list, if you ask somebody to talk about themselves, you talk to somebody for 10 minutes and they talked about themselves for nine and you talked for one minute, that person is likely going to walk out of there and go, I like that guy. I didn't say anything, right? I didn't even say anything. You talked about yourself, but they're going to they're gonna subconsciously remember that interaction positively because they feel heard. And they got to talk about their favorite thing, which is the stuff they worry about, right? And so remember that, man. The whole, you got one mouth and two ears for a reason. Listen more than you talk, right? And, and, and then be taking notes about what they say and come back and bring things up. Hey, man, you know, how's that project coming out on you, you know, you're working on? And just, that's, that's, that's again, simple stuff. Now, 
This next thing is my favorite. So I left this to the end because it's my favorite thing that um, I did uh, with a guy, a friend of mine named Luke Brimer, who's been on my podcast a couple times, Slow Smoke Business. Please hit the follow button, like, and subscribe. Um, Luke and I, um, Luke was a guy that I hired as, as my first sales guy. And um, he was really young and so was I. And we were both kind of just like figuring this stuff out together. And uh, I read a book called what everybody is saying. Not everybody, one word, but every space body is saying. It was all about body language. And it was written by a hostage negotiator. And the thing about body language is it's all about either using it on offense or using it on defense. Now, this guy in that book is talking about how to look at body language and talk down somebody who's got a gun or has a hostage or whatever. Um, but the way I looked, I, I sort of figured out how to look at it in business was there's two ways that you use body language. You use it on offense, you use it on defense. Using it on defense means when I'm talking to you, I'm looking for body language is telling me one thing and it's showing discomfort. Okay. So what do I mean by that? If I'm telling you about my product and you're closed off, got your hands closed like this, or if I'm talking to you and I've got my body angled away, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that shows discomfort. I'm not, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you can't necessarily figure out exactly, exactly what's going on, but that's someone who's not vibing with you, closed off, right? Or touching their face, mm, yeah, or looking past you or, you know, arms folded. So when you're selling to somebody, and you see these cues, you need to think about, what am I saying right now? What is that person hearing that's making them uncomfortable, right? Not uncomfortable that they're like, oh, but they're just not vibing with you. Think about the difference between this, I'm facing away from you, and this, like, yeah, right. Open, open hands, open stance, facing the person, right? It's subconscious to keep your like organs and your face tucked away from things that you're not comfortable with. But when you are comfortable with them, you'll open up, right? So using it on defense is looking at body language around a room when you're talking to people and looking for signs that they're not vibing with you. They're closed off, right? Or if you ask them a question and they touch their face, oh, yeah, you know. Mm. Or if you say, do you understand? And they close their eyes when they answer for even a split second. Is that, is, you, do, you, do you understand that? They go, yeah, yeah. Also, there's the subconscious. If they say yeah, but they go like this, read the, that's, that's the truth. This is the, not the yeah, that's the truth. It's, I'm, I'm serious. It's a subconscious thing. Hey, man, talking to my kid, did you, did you, eat, the, did you eat the last cookie? N no, I, I, uh, you know, like <laughs> you, you can see, and the eyes are closed. So you're looking for discomfort. The way to use it on offense, okay, is the same thing, but in reverse. So when I'm talking to somebody and I want to connect with them, I need this person to believe me. Okay, I'm going to look right at them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my arms open. I'm going to stand facing them. I'm going to look them in the eye and I'm going to smile. I'm going to lean in when they talk to me and I'm not going to do this. You hear people go, oh, that doesn't mean I do that all the time. I'm hearing you, but the subconscious signals that you're sending to somebody when you do that, is that you're closed off and your subconscious brain is saying there's a barrier there, right? And so 
Luke and I would go in a room, and if we had a room full of people, 15 people that we were going to present to, or three or whatever, first thing we would do is we would not sit on the opposite side of the table. That person, we would sit next to them. And then we would spin around and we would face them. And we would talk to them like people and we'd keep our hands open. And then we would do things like body mirroring, right? So you're sitting like that, right? And you've got your knees. In fact, I don't know if I can do this standing up, frankly, but you got your knees like, so, so like if somebody's sitting in front of you and they've got, and they're sitting like this, do the same thing. Not, not like, like a robot, you know, but just subconsciously sit the same way they're sitting, right? They got their arm up, you put your arm up. I'm telling you, do that and say the exact same thing you were saying and people are subconsciously more open to what you're saying because their subconscious brain is telling them through the visuals they're seeing that they're making a connection with you, right? So body language on defense and body language on offense. Now there's a, a subcategory of the offense whereas if you're trying to intimidate somebody like your competitors in the room, you just spread out like in the animal kingdom. Hey man, come on, have a drink. You know, I'm kidding, you don't do all that. So that's the, that's the, there's a ton of stuff that we could go through, but those are the three things that I think you got to know to get started from being like a nobody and everybody's somebody, but you know what I mean. From, from starting out with nothing and turning yourself into somebody who can literally walk into any room, talk to any person in a confident way, win the room, win the argument, win the trust, win the deal. Make sense? Okay. So remember, progress over perfection. You don't have to be perfect at these things right out of the gate. You don't have to be perfect at anything right out of the gate, right? Allow yourself, to give yourself permission to suck at it and then do a little bit better next time and a little bit better next time. And you'll be surprised at how much better you will get than another person trying to do the same thing but trying to knock the ball out of the park on the first swing, right? Progress over perfection. Now, I would love if you guys would follow my podcast there. That would be great. I've actually got, there is four different people in this room, at least, that have been guests on my podcast. So uh, I would love, you there's a ton of smart people. I'd love to have you guys on there as well. Um, but I've got a couple of minutes left, and I'd love to take any questions that you guys may have. Yes, sir. Oh, God, I thought I did something. Damn. So, since we know you're the jackass that kept us from cheating on tests, yes. how do we overcome Proctor U now? So, because we, you're the most hated man in the room now, I hate so, you forever. Well, that's a true statement. If you go on Twitter and you search Proctor U and Mom's a Ho, um, <laughs> you see people making the same joke for 10 years. Whoever created Proctor U, your mom's a hoe, right? Um, so, Madeline Morgan is a saint. Okay, so uh, I, look, there's nothing's cheat proof. I'll say that. I, I, nothing is cheat proof. And that was one of the things that I had to, to talk about knowing what you have to overcome. People, there were people that would think that if I could think of one way to break that system, the whole thing is burned down. And I, my response to that would be Have you ever seen anybody cheat in a classroom before? They go, Well, yeah. Are we burning that down? No. Okay, well, then cheat proof is not the standard, right? And then you start, you, you guide the conversation towards, how do we know we're doing a good job, right? And let's, let's all agree on what we're going to measure to know we're doing a good job. And that's like you have to figure out how to reframe that conversation into something that you can, you can fight against rather than just fighting ghosts. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm looking your record up too, by the way. I've got what I feel like is the most important question. Okay. 
that anybody has ever asked you? Hot and fast or low and slow? Okay. This sounds very sexual, but it's not. It's um, not sexual. For those so that don't low know. Low and slow is always better, right? So, all right. In my defense, in my defense, I never said I was an expert. I said I was an enthusiast, okay? All right. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, you shared about your faith, and I'm also a believer, and I share that frequently. Or have you always been as comfortable sharing that in front of others? No. And how did no. that change? I guess, um, yeah. I'm still learning. I'm on that journey, man. Yeah. I'm still. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't plan to tell that church story until I started talking up here, um, and I I told it probably for the third time ever publicly on the podcast episode that, that just dropped two days ago, and that only happened because I had a guest no show. And I already had chicken out. <laughs> and so I was like, I got to talk about something, you know? And so, uh, I, so I did a solo episode and I just started getting, you know, you know, like talking. And, and I had a couple of people come up and go, man, that like, that was great. And so I thought, okay, I think one of the things that um, I have a friend of mine who's a, who's a pastor, his name's Dan. He's a phenomenal person. And I asked him one time, I said, hey, man, like this story means a lot to me. And I get worried that I'm not telling it right. And people aren't fully like understanding the gravity of what I'm saying. And he goes, man, just tell the story. And it's not, it's not going to connect with everybody, but it might connect with somebody. And progress over perfection, right? I thought, you know, I'm just going to keep telling it. And hopefully it connects. And hopefully I figure out a way to like hook, hook somebody in and it make a difference for somebody, you know? Good so I noticed that your marketing is subtle and matches what you're wearing. I wanted to know if you show up with something with your business or your passion on you at all times and how you integrate that into how you show up to the room. Yeah. So we, I, I was in academia with ProctorU. And if anybody wants to Google ProctorU and then the word owl, um, we created a blue owl in our logo, and then we went, frankly, nuts with that blue owl. And everything we did had a blue owl on it. Everything we named was owl analogies, and like it was just we committed to that bit so hard. And when we would go to these academic things, um, I actually contacted a company that makes NFL mascot suits, right? And we had them make a giant owl suit, and I that thing was the weapon of marketing mass destruction, like. Everybody thought we were the stupidest, most ridiculous people ever to have trotted that into these stuffy, button-down, particularly the professional testing audience, not academic, but the professional testing. It's like Microsoft is there and all these kids, here we come, with this big, and they're all like, but you know what? No one ever forgot it. And then the next year, people are like, hey, uh, where, uh, where's the owl? I was going to take a picture with it. And it just, so yes, I believe, again, shout out to Larry for his awesome talk about branding. Like, I believe you have to know what about your brand sticks out. You have to have a logo and colors and a thing that people can connect with. And if you have a brand that's just vanilla and your name is just kind of like, it doesn't really mean anything, you better work hard for it to connect with people or you're just going to have to like work a lot harder to get whatever you do to stick in someone's mind. Anybody else? Other okay. questions? Thank you guys oh, for I having me. One. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Angelos or Hurtados? <clears throat> uh, Hurtados. Uh, so 
Yes, Angelo's, God bless him. That was not, that was, been, been systematically sampling the barbecue of this town. There's a lot of talent in here. And sometimes there's ones that, I don't know, buddy. So, yeah. But Hurtado's all day. That's barbecue. Not far from, like, what, like five minutes from here. Hurtado's, amazing, amazing. Thank you guys so much. Woo! Thanks for listening, guys. If you enjoyed that, please share that with somebody else and like us. Give us a five star rating. Follow us on social media. We're everywhere now. And also make sure you go follow the Badass Business Summit. Uh, Look for them on social media and make sure you try to attend next year. It's a fantastic organization connected to the Success Champions Networking Group. It's all over the country. Uh, And we'll see you next time on Slow Smoke Business.